Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. It's pretty awesome. I, I, uh, I don't know if you caught it, but um, the past two weekends we sent almost 1,000 students, middle school and high school students. And that number's really good, but I got a better number for you. Uh, we learned this morning that over the past two weekends, 119 students said yes to Jesus. Are you kidding me? That is... And listen, um, we're going to get to the teaching in just a second, but uh, I just got to say, like as a previous student pastor, uh, actually I was a student pastor here at 12 Stone, actually right here at the Sugarloaf campus. And um, I got to say, as a student pastor, man, I prayed for moments like what you just saw, where students would take Jesus seriously, where they would, where they would gnosko him. You know what I mean? And 119 students making that decision. I'm telling students, listen, like I'm not your student pastor. I'm not your dad. But I just want to say I am so proud of you. I am. Um, see, I was 12 years old at a weekend retreat like this when I said yes to Jesus. And I was 13 when I felt like God was calling me to be a pastor. And so students, I want you to hear me say this. You are not the future of the church, okay? You are the church right now, right now. And we are just so proud of you. Your church family loves you. I love you. I'm just love being a part of it. Okay, I could keep going, but we got to get to the teaching. Okay, so to, um, to kind of get our heads around where we're going today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think back to when you were a student, okay? Chances are when you were a student, um, you probably, like, your parents might have said some things to you that were annoying, um, and all the students said amen. Yeah, they said things that were annoying, and maybe you had moments of, like, teenage resolve when you decided, when I become a parent, I'm never going to say the things that my parents said to me. And then you become a parent, and you say the exact same thing that your parents said to you. You know what I mean? Parents, how many of you have said this to your kids? Because I said so. Yeah, that's right. Passed down from generation to generation. Because it was so annoying when you were a student, so annoying when you were a kid. And then you have a toddler, and they ask you the same question like 17 times, and you're like, because I said so. Okay, that's the reason. See, for some reason, no matter how hard we try, there's like a gravitational pull where we can't help it. We just say the same things that our parents said to us. And it's not just the things they say. Sometimes we mimic the things, the things they do. Like maybe for you, your parents had these like annoying habits and you swore you would never do them, but now you do the exact same things that your parents did. Like for me, my mom was a big health nut. So she never let us have a Coke or Sprite. Uh, in fact, the main two drinks that we had in our house were milk and water. That was it. Um, I remember one time I went to a friend's house, and they had Kool-Aid. And I never heard of Kool-Aid. And I thought maybe my mom hadn't heard of Kool-Aid. So I went home, and I'm like spreading the gospel of Kool-Aid to my mom. I'm like, Mom, there's this thing called Kool-Aid. And you know what she said to me? She said, water is God's Kool-Aid. And I'm like, well, I like man's Kool-Aid way better. It is so much better. So listen, now I'm an adult, you know? Like I got, 
Like, I got the ability to buy whatever I want. So you know what's in my fridge right now? Milk and water. Okay, that's it. That's it. Because for some reason, no matter how hard we try, we just can't escape the gravitational pull of saying the same things that our parents said, doing the same things that our parents did. And why is that? Well, it's because one of the most powerful influences in your life and in my life is our family of origin, okay? The family that we grew up in. In fact, look at what someone way smarter than me said. She said, we are who we are because of our family of origin. We learn how to interact with people, deal with emotions, and form beliefs and values from our parents and other members of our family of origin. We are who we are because of our family of origin, which means we've inherited all the good things that they did and and all the bad things. In other words, we've got all the good, healthy habits and the dysfunction, too. And for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about how no matter what kind of family you grew up in, maybe some of you grew up with major dysfunction that you inherited. Maybe some of you are like me, and you kind of lucked out. You grew up with some minor dysfunction. But either way, all of us came on the scene with some baggage. We inherited baggage. See, I, I, I inherited my mom's smile, my dad's height, and all of their dysfunction. I came by it honestly. And so did you. Like, maybe you had a dad who was really angry, and you swore you would never be that way with your kids, but now, for whatever reason, you can't help but yell at them and fly off the handle, just like your dad did. Or maybe, maybe you had a dad who, like, he was there, but he wasn't really there. You know what I mean? Like, he came home from work and maybe sat on the recliner and watched TV, and you swore you would never be that way. But now you get home, and you look at this more than you look at your kids, just like your dad did? Or maybe, maybe um, your dad was unfaithful, and now you're scared of commitment. Maybe, maybe your mom was really selfish. She only thought about herself, so no one was thinking about you. So growing up, you learned that you know, if someone's going to think about you, it had to be you. So you just kept thinking about you constantly, and then you grew up, and you've spent your whole life only thinking about you. And now people are saying the same things about you that you said about your mom. Maybe some of you had a family where they swept everything under the rug, and now you and your spouse avoid healthy conflict. See, we are who we are because of our family of origin. So is that it? <laughs> are we just destined to repeat the mistakes of our past? Are we doomed to become just like our parents and repeat their failures over and over again? In other words, this is where we're going today. How do I break... The cycle of dysfunction. Because all of us inherited some sort of dysfunction, maybe major or minor dysfunction, but we all got baggage. So how do I actually break that cycle of dysfunction? And so to answer that question, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the story of a guy who grew up with major dysfunction. We're going to talk about that in just a second. And yet against all the odds, somehow he overcame it and he broke the cycle of dysfunction. And so to recap all the dysfunction that he had, um, I'm going to go here to the TV, and maybe some of this will be uh, a reminder for many of you that were here for the past couple weeks. We've been talking about a guy named Abraham, and uh, Abraham was a good guy, okay? He had a lot of faith, but he also introduced some dysfunction into his family. See, he was married to a woman named Sarah, and God told Abraham and Sarah that one day they would have a kid and that this kid would be the father of a mighty nation. This was going to be God's 
chosen people. Well, while they're waiting for God to fulfill their prom, um, his promise, they find themselves in a foreign land. And Abraham gets scared that the people of that land are going to steal Sarah away and sleep with her. So he comes up with an idea. He wants to lie. And so he says, no, you can sleep with Sarah. She's not my wife. She's my sister. What a gentleman, right? So that's what he says. Oh, and by the way, he does this twice, okay? He does this twice while he's in land. And then Sarah kind of turns the tables on him because they're not able to have kids. And so Sarah says, hey, how about you sleep with Hagar and you have a child with her instead of just with me? And that's what he does. Now, and listen, before you go and judge Abraham, let me ask you, what would you do if your wife proposed this to you? Trick question, don't answer that. Okay, so anyways... So Abraham and Hagar end up having a kid, and that kid's name is Ishmael. Now, not surprising, they have a kid, and Sarah gets really angry and jealous and bitter, and now there's all this division and conflict and bitterness in the family until eventually they send Ishmael away. And you can already see the dysfunction, the sexual misconduct, the bitterness. And yet, even in the midst of this, God is faithful to keep his promise, and he gives them a son named Isaac. Well, now it's Isaac's turn. So Isaac ends up marrying a woman named Rebecca, and they find themselves in a foreign land, and Isaac gets scared they're going to steal Rebecca away and sleep with her. So you know what he decides to do? He takes a page out of dear old dad's playbook, and he says, Rebecca, she's not my wife. She's my sister. There we go. That's a great way to start a marriage, right? That's what he says. And so then, in the midst of all that, they end up having twins, Esau and Jacob. Well, just like Abraham favored Isaac over Ishmael, Isaac favored Esau over Jacob. And then not to be outdone, Rebekah actually favored Jacob over Esau. And so now you can see there's conflict and there's division and there's bitterness between husband and wife and brother against brother. And this is made even worse by the fact that Rebecca and Jacob actually teamed up against Esau, like against his own brother, against her own son, and stole the birthright from Isaac. Well, this made Esau furious, and now there's even more bitterness until eventually Jacob flees as well. And do you see the dysfunction play out from generation to generation to generation? And now it's Jacob's turn. Jacob wants to marry a woman uh, named Rachel, but he actually gets trick married to Rachel's sister named Leah, and there's all sorts of details of how that happened. But instead of remaining faithful to Rachel, even though he loved Rachel more than Leah, he said, I'll still sleep with Leah. That's okay. So he does that, and he also sleeps with Rachel, and he has kids through Leah, but can't have kids with Rachel. So now Rachel gets angry and bitter, and there's all sorts of conflict. And then Rachel comes up with a novel idea. She goes, I'm upset that you're having kids with my sister, so how about you do this? How about you sleep with other women and have kids with them. So now there's Jacob, Rachel, Leah, and a whole bunch of other women, and they have a lot of issues. There we go. And you thought your family was messed up, right? Like, can you imagine? And this is the family that Joseph is born into. And the same way that Abraham favored Isaac over Ishmael, and the same way that Isaac favored Esau over Jacob, Jacob favored Joseph more than his other kids, more than the other 11 brothers. And so as you can imagine now, there is conflict and bitterness 
between the brothers and Joseph. The brothers are angry, just like you would be angry if your dad came up to you and said, hey, we have a favorite son, and it's not you, right? Like, that would not make you and I'll make you very happy. And so all the brothers get together, and they come up with this idea. They say, the next time we see Joseph, let's punch him in the face. I'm just kidding. They didn't say that. No, they said, let's murder him. <laughs> like, that's how messed up this family is, that they resort to murder for, 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 for sibling rivalry. But that's what they decide. They say, hey, we should kill our own brother. And as they're plotting for how to take his life, one of the brothers actually speaks up, and this is what he says. Judah said to his brothers, come on, guys, come on, come on. What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? I got a better idea. Come, let's sell him into slavery to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our own brother, our own flesh and blood. What a sweetie, you know? Just sell your brother into slavery. That's a good call. So that's what they do. That's how messed up this family is. That's how much dysfunction there is that they sell Joseph into slavery. So now Joseph's in a foreign land, abandoned by his brothers. His dad thinks that he's dead. And he's working at Potiphar's house. And while he's working as a slave in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife comes up to him with a proposal. She says this, after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Okay, pause. Okay, we already know all the dysfunction that he grew up with, all the sexual misconduct that he grew up with. It's literally in his blood. And now there's a woman who approaches him to do the same thing. And not only that, he's all alone, right? He's been abandoned by his brothers. His dad thinks he's dead, doesn't have any friends, doesn't have any accountability. No one would know except Joseph. So what does Joseph do? Joseph breaks away from the cycle of dysfunction. And look at what he does. It says, but he refused. And I want you to catch what he says. This is so powerful. He says, how then... Could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Not sin against my family, not sin against my dad, not sin against my brothers, not sin against Potiphar. How can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Sin against God. So how was the cycle broken? How did this process start? Joseph decided, I won't let my past excuse my sin. I won't let my past, all the dysfunction, excuse my sin. Because listen, the biggest temptation for Joseph was not the woman throwing herself at him. The biggest temptation for Joseph was the phrase, after all I've been through, right? Come on. After all I've been through, Steve, if you knew my story, man, if you knew what my dad said to me, if you knew what my mom did to me, if you knew what kind of childhood I had, if you knew about my past, come on, come on. After all I've been through, don't I deserve a little break? I mean, don't I deserve this? Come on. And sometimes it gets even worse than that, right? He could have said something like this. I think God brought her to me, right? 
Don't we say that? God must have brought her to me for such a time as this. You know, it's like we covered up with Bible verses. God must have done that. Because isn't it funny? It's so easy to use our past to excuse the temptation that's right in front of us. That's what I do. After all I've been through, and especially recently, come on, let's be honest, the past three years, after all we've been through, don't we deserve a little break? <laughs> I remember when all the shutdown stuff was happening, I, I, um, man, I was overwhelmed, I was confused, it felt like I didn't know which way was up, and I found myself getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And then I found myself justifying my anger, specifically justifying my anger with my kids, yelling at them, flying off the handle, holding them to a standard that I didn't even hold myself to. And you know what the thought was in my head? Come on. After all I've been through, I mean, after all we've been through, the kids should be better than this. After all we've been through, listen, they, it's okay that I'm yelling at them. It's okay that I'm flying up. I mean, come on. After all we've been through. I'm spending time with God one morning, and God kind of brought that to mind. And there was a phrase that um, I actually wrote down in the whiteboard, uh, on the whiteboard in my basement, because this temptation, after all I've been through, is so easy for me, and it's still there to this day. Two years later, this is the phrase. My past may explain me, but it doesn't excuse me, right? There's a reason that I am where I am today. There's a reason that I've become kind of the person that I've become. My past does explain me, but come on. It doesn't excuse me. It doesn't let me off the hook. And so listen, I'm not saying that, that um, you should ignore your past. And I'm not saying your past isn't bad. In fact, for some of you, man, your past is traumatic. But what I am saying is this. Don't make a bad situation worse. Because that's what sin does, doesn't it? it? Makes a bad situation worse. I mean, after all, sin is the thing that got you into this mess. It's not going to be the thing to get you out of the mess. You don't solve sin by adding sin on top of it. And so for Joseph, in the midst of all the dysfunction he grew up with, in the midst of all that he's been through, in the midst of all that life has been unfair to him, Joseph decided, no, I'm not going to let my past Excuse my sin. Yes, after all I've been through, but come on. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And so he broke the pattern. He broke the cycle. And you know what it got him? Jail time. Jail time. Yeah. So he resists Potiphar's wife over and over again. And then Potiphar's wife actually lies about him to Potiphar. So Potiphar has him thrown into prison for doing the right thing. And some of you, like me, are like, well, hold on. That's not fair. I know. I agree. Well, hold on, Steve, Steve, Steve. That's not the way the story should go. I know. I agree. Just like sometimes you do the right thing, and you still get punished. Sometimes you do the right thing, and things don't change around you. Because listen, breaking the cycle of dysfunction doesn't happen in a moment. It doesn't happen with one really big, good decision. <laughs> Breaking the cycle of dysfunction. It's always, it's always harder than you think it's going to be. And it always takes longer than you think it should take. At least that's how it was for Joseph. Right? 
way harder than it should be. He's sold into slavery by his brothers. And then while he's in slavery, he gets thrown into prison. That's so much harder than it should be. Shouldn't he just make one good decision and then be free of this? No. Breaking the cycle of dysfunction is always harder than you think it should be. And it always takes longer than you think it should take. Do you know how long it was from the time that Joseph was, was, was thrown into slavery until he finally was rescued from prison? It's 20 years. And maybe, maybe this is just for some of you. Maybe you've been trying to break the cycle of dysfunction in your family and it's harder than you think it should be and it takes longer than you think it should take and you're wondering, does God even notice? And maybe today the only thing God wants to say to you is don't give up. Because listen, it's always going to be harder than you think it should be. It's going to take longer than you think it should take. But Joseph would say it is worth it to break the cycle of dysfunction. See, because after 20 years... God did the miraculous. And I wish we had time for all the details of the story, but God rescued Joseph from prison and then brought him into the palace to be second in command over all of Egypt in a day. In one day, he went from the prison to the palace with all sorts of authority. I mean, I'm telling you, this story is incredible. Not only that, God gave him this like vision of what was going to happen in the future. And so he knew there was going to be a famine that was coming. And so because of the actions of Joseph, because of what God did in Joseph, he not only saved his own life, but he saved all of the Egyptians' lives. So now there's a famine, but Egypt is taken care of. And not only is Egypt taken care of, there's all these tribes and, and, and nations around Egypt that start coming to Egypt for food. And one of the tribes that showed up to get food was Joseph's brothers. And this is where the story gets so good. So you got to imagine. Joseph's brothers, this is now 29 years later. Joseph's brothers show up to Egypt. And they show up to a big room like this, and there's all sorts of grain and food, and they bow down, and they grovel, and they say, oh, please, great Egyptian master, our family is starving. Would you please give us some food? And guess who it is they're begging to? Joseph. It's Joseph. This is the moment, right? 29 years. And here's the brothers in their most vulnerable spot, begging him food. After stealing 20 years of his life, after selling him into slavery, after plotting to murder him, they're right in front of him. So what does Joseph say? This is so good. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Yeah, no joke, right? You would be too. It's like all of a sudden you look up and you're like, uh-oh, not who we thought we'd be seeing today. So there's Joseph. And then look at what he says next, because the brothers can't say anything. Then he said to his brothers, come close to me. And if I was one of his brothers, I'd be like, nah, fam, I'm good right here. Is this back door open? You know, it's like, he says, no, 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 come close. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph. Remember the one you sold into Egypt? And I'm sure they're like, we remember, we just kind of hope you forgot, you know, <laughs> it's not a good day for us. And so what does Joseph do with all the power? 
What does Joseph do? As his family is vulnerable. This is what it says. He said, and now, do not be distressed. Pause. No, 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 no. They should be distressed, Joseph. Nope, he goes on. Hey, and do not be angry with yourselves. No, 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 no. They should be it. Joseph, this is your moment. No, he says, do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Wait, what? Yeah, he says it again. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Okay, pause, pause, pause. Joseph, Joseph, 29 years, brother. I think your memory is a little faulty. Come here. Let me remind you, Joseph. Um, let's see. Your brothers threatened to kill you, and then they threw you into a pit and then sold you into slavery. Do you not remember these details? We thought this would be like a formative experience for you, right? And now you're letting them off the hook? Don't you, after all they've done to you? And yet here's what Joseph does. He threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers, and he wept over them. Hmm. See, in a family where bitterness runs in the blood, where lack of forgiveness runs in the blood, where anger is the dysfunction of the day, where bitterness takes hold, Joseph decided, I won't let my past excuse my bitterness. I won't let my past excuse my bitterness. Because see, normally, well, you may not be like me. Maybe you're better than me, but I'll just tell my story. When someone hurts me, I imagine the day. I imagine the day. The day when I've got the power and they don't. The day when they're vulnerable the day when I can finally speak my mind, when I can finally tell them what I've been wanting to tell them after all these years, when I can finally show them the pain that they've caused me, when I can, when I can, when I can finally pay them back for what they have done to me. And what happens is that thought, that imagining of the day is bitterness that takes root in our hearts. And the more we dwell on it, the more it grows and the more it steals our life away. And here's the crazy thing. Joseph had that moment. He actually had the moment. The moment we all dream of with the people that have hurt us. He had that. It, they were right in front of him. And yet he doesn't do that. He, he embraces them. He weeps over them. He forgives them. What? that. See, Joseph saw the pain of bitterness play out in his family. And he instead decided to embrace the pain of forgiveness. Because please don't hear me say that forgiveness is easy. It, 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 it is not. It's gut-wrenching. It's painful. It takes forever. You don't forgive someone in a day. It's a journey of forgiveness. It is always costly. But I love what I love what Scott Saul says. He says, it costs us dearly to forgive someone, but it costs us even more not to forgive. Listen, there is a cost to the bitterness that you're holding on to. 
There is a cost to the bitterness that you pass on to the next generation. And Joseph decided in a moment, he said, no, 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 I'm not going to pay that cost. I'm going to pay the cost of forgiveness. And listen, it took him 29 years. But every day he made the decision. I'm going to forgive them. So how did Joseph break the cycle? He decided, I won't let my past excuse my sin. And I won't let my past excuse my bitterness. And this, we're wrapping up in just a second. This is good. And it's true. (laughs) Meaning if you do this, like it'll work. It's helpful. This is good. This is true. The only problem is it's impossible. You know that, right? I mean, listen, there's not enough willpower on planet Earth for you to do what Joseph did. Listen, there's not enough willpower on planet Earth for Joseph to do what Joseph did. Are you kidding me? Right? I mean, come on, you got all this dysfunction, and then you're alone with a woman who's throwing herself at you, and you resist that temptation? How on earth do you do that? And then your brothers are groveling before you, and you have them right where you want them, and yet you forgive them? How on earth do you do this? Like, as I was, as I was researching for today, I, 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 I couldn't figure it out. I was like, God, you got to help me, because like, I'm looking for a loophole. Like, how do you actually do this? And then I, I found a, the strangest phrase that appears four times in Genesis 39. It's almost like the author is saying, hey, listen, this isn't just a good story. This is a miraculous story. And I want you to see the miracle. So here's where it first shows up. Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, sold into slavery. And look at this phrase. The Lord was with Joseph, okay? And then you see that phrase show up again, and then it shows up when he gets thrown into prison. Look at what it says. It says, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Four times, the Lord was with him, the Lord was with him, the Lord was with him, and in case you didn't get it, the Lord was with him. It's like the author is saying, listen, Joseph couldn't do this on his own, and come on, neither can you. Neither can you. You can't do this on your own. The only way you can do this, where the power actually comes from um, to do this, is the presence of God. Because listen, your past is too strong, right? Your family of origin is too strong. There is only one thing more powerful than your family of origin, and it's the presence of God. That's what enabled Joseph to break the cycle of dysfunction. It wasn't his willpower. It was God's power. And listen, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, I have incredible news for you. God's power isn't just with you. No, God's power is in you. The Holy Spirit in you, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you to break the cycle of dysfunction. And it's the reason that we sing songs that have this lyric. There's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. That's where the power comes from. See, on Monday, I, uh, I woke up, and the very first thought on my mind was this lyric. There's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. And before you go think that I'm way more spiritual than I am, just know that's not normally my first thought of the day. I wish it was. 
Um, instead, my first thought of the day is normally like, what am I going to do today? Or, you know, I can't wait to drink coffee. Or do I have time to snooze 12 more times? You know, like those are normally the first thought. But for whatever reason, Monday morning, I woke up and the very first thought was there's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. It wasn't even the song. It was just the lyric. There's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. There's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. And then Tuesday morning, I woke up. And you know what the first thought on my mind was? There's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. There's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. And then Tuesday night, in the middle of the night, in the middle of a deep sleep, I wake up and I am like fully awake. And there's only one thought on my mind. There's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. And then Wednesday morning, I woke up because I wasn't getting it. There's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. And here's what I think God was doing. I think God was waking me up to say, listen, don't you remember your story? Don't you remember the dysfunction that you inherited? And don't you remember the power to break it? Because it wasn't you. No, there's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. Because listen, pastors have dysfunction too. Let me clarify that. Pastors have dysfunction, especially, I should say that. And I came by it honestly. I inherited, inherited it from my parents. The dysfunction, the cycle of uh, lust and people-pleasing and doubt. See, I was, I was 12 years old when I said yes to Jesus. I was also 12 years old when my dad let me know that he was struggling with faith. He just couldn't believe in this stuff anymore. And he had really good reasons for it. He had all sorts of doubts that were way more mature than me, and I didn't even know how to answer him. And we would talk often, and he would say, well, explain this, and you know, how on earth could this discrepancy be there, and why are there all these discrepancies in the character of God? He seems one way you know, in the Old Testament, one way in the New Testament. And what he was doing was he was deconstructing his faith, and I didn't know how to put the pieces back together. I'm 12. I don't, I don't have those answers. All this doubt and deconstruction and disbelief. That's what I inherited. So how is it that that same kid who idolized his dad because I had an incredible dad and inherited all of his dad's doubts, how is that kid teaching the truth of Scripture right now? How did that happen? It's this. There's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. That's where the power comes from to break the cycle of dysfunction. So listen, there's no power like the mighty name of Jesus to break the dysfunction in your family. Okay? There's no power to break the cycle of addiction in your family like the mighty name of Jesus. There's no power to break the cycle of anger in your family like the mighty name of Jesus. There's no power to break the cycle of sexual misconduct in your family like the mighty name of Jesus. There's no power to break the cycle of bitterness in your family like the mighty name of Jesus. There is no power to break the cycle of dysfunction in your family, of doubt, people-pleasing, like the mighty name of Jesus. That's where the power comes from. Not from you, not from me, not from willpower, not from our family of origin. From the presence of God. That's it. And the power of the mighty name of Jesus gives 
you the power to say, and not only say, but to live out these statements. I won't let my past excuse my sin. And I won't let my past excuse my bitterness. I won't let my past excuse my sin. Hold on, Steve. After all I've been through, yeah, after all you've been through, because you have the Spirit of God in you that raised Jesus from the dead, and his power can enable you to stand up against any temptation that comes your way. And you don't have to use your past as an excuse anymore. That I won't let my past excuse my bitterness. After all they've done to me, yeah. And after all you've done against God and after all he's done to forgive you, his power in you allows you to forgive the people in your life that have hurt you. There's no power like the mighty name of Jesus to live out these statements. So normally, we'd give you discussion questions for you to talk about with your family, and maybe these discussion questions, maybe you do talk about these with your family, but I wanna ask you to do something a little different. I want you to take these discussion questions and I want you to talk about it with your source of power, since that's how you're gonna break the cycle of dysfunction. So talk about these questions with your Father in heaven. Here's the, here's the two questions. Father in heaven, this is you talking to God. What sin have I been excusing in my life? In fact, right now, Holy Spirit, he might, he might be revealing some to you right now. You can talk about these with him after you leave, but maybe right now God's already bringing some things to mind. So Holy Spirit, keep speaking. If he's bringing something to mind, that's okay. That's actually good. He's talking to you. So, Father in heaven, what sin have I been excusing in my life? And then, where am I still holding on to bitterness? And maybe, just maybe, God's going to take you a layer deeper and say, who do I need to forgive? And forgiveness doesn't happen in a moment. It is a journey. But maybe today, maybe today, God is saying, I want you to start the journey. After all they've done, yep, after all they've done. So, Father, where am I still holding on to bitterness? You just ask him, where am I still holding on to bitterness? And if he's speaking to you right now, maybe you even write it down. Maybe you pull out your phone. Just be attentive to him. He's talking to you right now. And so we want to have a moment where you get to make a decision, a declaration, that the dysfunction that you inherited it ends with you. So the pastors are going to step up, and for this moment, I just, this is, this is the main thought, and then we're done. This is the main thought. Today, today can be the day. Today can be the day that this ends with you. Today can be the day that the dysfunction doesn't continue. Today can be the day that the dysfunction doesn't go on to the next generation. Today can be the day that the cycle of dysfunction is broken with you. So I want to give you a moment to respond. In just a second, I'm going to invite you to stand. If you're ready to say that, no, the dysfunction ends with me, then I want to give you a moment to stand. And so here and across the campuses, if you're ready to say today is the day that the dysfunction ends with me, you can go ahead and stand right now. And listen, if you're at 12 Stone Home, maybe you just slip up a hand, but it's okay. 
you can go ahead and stand and say, no, listen, I'm not going to let the dysfunction continue any longer. And maybe part of you standing is saying, no, there's a sin that I've been excusing in my life, but today I'm not going to excuse it anymore. Thank you. You just stand up and say, no, I'm not going to excuse it anymore. Or maybe there's bitterness that you've been holding on to. And maybe we've actually lied to ourselves saying, no, God wants me to hold on to that bitterness. But today he's inviting you. Nope. You can go ahead and stand and say, I'm not going to hold on to that bitterness anymore. I'm not going to pass it on to my kids anymore. Today is the day that the dysfunction ends. Today is the day that the cycle is broken. My family will look different because of the power of God, the presence of God in my life to break the cycle of dysfunction. So pastors, would you pray? Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.